0: Grace, mercy, and peace do from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our sermon today comes from the Old Testament lesson from the prophet Isaiah. You may be seated. If you want visual evidence of the world's fall into sin, just turn on your television set. No, you don't need to find some sort of trashy, trampy Miley Cyrus video. You don't have to find even an R-rated movie. Nor do you have to tune in the popular sitcom where behavior that is condemned by God's word is not only prominent, but even celebrated. All you really need to do is find Animal Planet or the Discovery Channel or the National Geographic Channel. Just sit back and watch as that remorseless wolf stalks and snatches and rips a young lamb's body to shreds. Gaze at the lion's faces, their ravenous mouths smeared crimson with the blood of a weak old gazelle. Watch that ultra-slow motion replay as the viper lashes out and sinks its fangs into that cute little bunny rabbit gushes its venom into the flesh, waits for the poison to take effect, and then painstakingly swallows its victim, a large bulge moving slowly down its length, being dissolved and digested. There's a reason we call them wildlife. They truly represent that which is wild and untamed. They are mostly outside of man's control. Yes, God had created them to be a blessing to us, to be ruled by the Adams and the Eves and their offspring. But ever since our first ancestors opened up the devil's briefcase of evil and mayhem, the animals now often maul their would-be overlords. They're no longer truly under our dominion, but for a few species. And so they live by instinct, not by conscience. And just like us... They prey on the weak. They fight to survive. Threaten that survival, back them or us into a corner, and prepare for the fangs to be aimed at your throat, too, Sir Adam, Miss Eve. Darwin got an awful lot of things wrong, but one truth he observed is that it is survival of the fittest out there, survival of the meanest, the strongest, the craftiest. Nature's motto is not, live and let live. It's not even live and let die. When it comes right down to it, the brutal reality is, kill to live. Because of that, there's hardly a better image of who you really are and what you see taking place than that which is in the animal kingdom. What the cat does to the mouse, what the eagle or hawk does to the rabbit, is exactly what we do with our words and our actions, is we either playfully or violently sometimes rip apart the lives of others and gnaw on their bones. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand, says our God, as recorded by Isaiah earlier in his book. And so the painful truth is that we are actually worse than the animals. To call our loveless and meaningless actions beastly, that's an insult to the beasts. At least most of them, they kill for their own survival. And yet after we recklessly behave like animals, and we violate God's intentions for marriage, we slice up babies in the womb for the sake of convenience and economics. We stab each other in the back for humor's sake. We rip reputations to shreds with our gossiping tongues for pleasure's sake or to advance our own interests. And although we whitewash our outer shells and we soothingly purr out pious words for all to hear, inside of us lurks a lion ready to devour. The old animal cannot be domesticated. It can only be killed. And so it is good to have Advent before Christmas. For after all, what good is the coming of a Savior to those who think they are good in and of themselves? As he lies there in the manger, that dining table of beasts, Jesus shows us for whom he came. Jesus came for you, Adam. He came for you, Eve. He came for you who have become animalistic who are no longer superior to, but are actually below the beasts. For we have the capacity to understand God's will, but not the willpower to follow it. Nonetheless, you are beloved by Christ. Here He is, as wholesome, nourishing, perfecting food for you. So you need not devour one another to get ahead. So repent. Today is the day of salvation, Now is the season of repentance. The Christ child draws nigh even now. What's more, fully grown and having accomplished all that he came for, he draws nigh once again in all of his crucified, risen, and ascended power and glory. He will come with his winnowing fork in his hand to thresh the grain, to separate wheat and chaff. And he comes also with shovel in hand, so that he might bury this old creation once and for all. His advent is near. His advent is now. Repent and believe. In his first advent, as was prophesied, Christ came forth in the city of David, a shoot, a new branch from the stump of Jesse. For over 500 years, David's throne had sat cold and vacant. His line of monarchy was in ruins, first cut down by the Assyrian chainsaw and then shredded by the Babylonian chipper. Only a seemingly lifeless stump remained. But such impossible situations, well, they're God's favorite arenas of activity, aren't they? For whenever God begins something, it always seems to the eye of unbelief as if nothing will come from it. And yet that promise of Isaiah still stood. As of that moment it was unfulfilled but it was never forgotten by God. It was biding its time hibernating beneath the ground as the root of Jesse the very source of life eager to sprout upward. And so it was from within virgin soil Jesse's root emerged as Jesse's shoot. God became man while yet remaining fully God. This son of David this son of Adam, this son of God, he came for you. His advent landed him in the zoo of this world. No, no, it was actually much worse than a zoo. Maybe even worse than a cage overrun with wild, rabid beasts. Maybe it was like the old Roman Colosseum where man and beast battle to the death for the entertainment of others. But in spite of the horrific behavior of his creatures actions as well as thoughts and words that he had observed for so long, he still came for us. Wild and untamed of heart though we may be, still he came for us. The Spirit rests upon him, the perfect Spirit, the sevenfold Spirit of God. The Spirit rests on him to bring the six days of creation, the original creation, to its goal in the seventh, and then the eighth day of the new creation. A new Adam. A new Genesis. A new you. The Spirit of the Lord overcomes our worldly spirits. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding replaces our foolishness and our idiocy. The Spirit of counsel and might overpowers our deception and our weakness. The Spirit of knowledge And the fear of the Lord conquers our ignorance and our impenitence. He hovers over the living waters of the font to recreate us there. There we are restored. There we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. The Spirit who alighted from the Father upon the Son in the form of a dove now builds its nest in the branches of your soul. Before this Son you now stand, Judged by him, yes, but also declared innocent for his sake. As the new and better Adam, he is your father. As the new and better David, he is your king. He judges you not by what he sees or by what he hears, he judges you with righteousness and with equity. And even though you are guilty, for his sake you are declared innocent, clean. He takes the blame. On your behalf, the rod of punishment leaves the welts on his back instead. The belt of righteousness wrapped around his waist, the belt of faithfulness wrapped around his loins, these he shares. He wraps them around you. And your tattered rags of infidelity and fickleness and unrighteousness, he ties those around himself. You become what he is even as he becomes what you are. It is the great exchange You switch places with God so that all the good He has is yours and all the bad you have becomes His. In this great exchange, this gracious substitution, He who is the pure and holy Lamb of God makes you to be lambs of His Father's flock and are also made pure and holy in His sight. So it is here in the church where everything is more than meets the eye. For you are all different, and yet you're all the same. Men and women, young and old, meek and arrogant, rich and poor, powerful and powerless. All of you made one in Christ Jesus. It is here that the wolf dwells with the lamb. It is here that the leopard lies down with a young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf all lie together. In the mountain of his holy church they shall not hurt. They shall not destroy. Here you have been made new, recreated in the person of Him who is peace and love personified. All this becomes true not because we are perfect or holy in and of ourselves, but because we have been dressed up in the perfection of Him who has been perfect for us. His nourishing blood now rains down upon the dry, barren, deadly desert of this world. It creates a new Garden of Eden a church where God and man are reunited in blessed communion. And of that holy church, you are a part. Chosen, He has bought you. Bought, He has washed you. Washed, He has welcomed you in. And welcomed, He has fed you with the fruit of Himself from the very tree of life. For a branch from the root of Jesse has now borne fruit. And of that pleasant, life-giving fruit, You are welcome to eat. So pull up a chair to the table, up to the living tree that gives life. Eat, drink, and be merry in the garden of Eden of the church, in the new and the better Adam, in the new and the better David, whoever reigns over the kingdom of God. Here and with Him you will never die, for you have already died to Him, and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. Blessed are you who come baptized in the name of the Lord, for your sins are forgiven. Your place in God's family is safe and secure. His Advent has won all this for you. His coming is your arrival back at Eden's Gate. He has opened the door, and He stands waiting with open arms. So welcome home to His holy mountain. Welcome back to your resting place.